Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Part of the Boundless Audio Podcast Network. Whining about history, the women's history podcast, where two longtime best friends whine about women from history that you probably haven't heard of, and we usually have a little wine while doing it. I'm Kelly. I am so wet right now. <laughs> Did you spill again? No, Kelly, that was so fucking hot. Oh my God. Okay. This is why you need to surround yourself with amazing women because then you rub off on them and they do Lizzo parody openings for. Yeah. The podcast. Love you. God bless Lizzo. And that's Emily. <laughs> I'm Emily. Yes. Um, hold on. I need to gather my composure here because <laughs> I'm I'm feeling all sorts of things. Good Lord. That was hot. Yeah. Love it. Love all of it. Oh, my God. Yeah. We're going to whine about some women that you probably haven't heard of, but you'll be really glad you did. Yeah. Yeah. And then. Uh, exciting stories. And then when someone is like. Oh, women in history, name a woman. You can name like 8,000 that aren't Martha Washington. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, we, we already gave you one, Lizzo. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. We all know Lizzo. Exactly. We all better know Lizzo. Legit. I would love to know Lizzo personally. Right. Um, I feel like she's the person that like, if I'm having a rough day, I want to like eat some ice cream and have her just like build me up. I could, I could die. I could die then if I just had Lizzo telling me one time, like, Emily, you're a you bad bitch. It. You can do the yeah, thing. You, you, you can do it. You are 100% that bitch. Um, yeah, right. You just, just die of happiness. I, I mean, that would be all I ever needed. That would cure my low self-esteem. That would cure my anxiety. Because if anyone ever said, hey, Lizzo said I'm 100% that bitch. So anything you have to say means nothing. Right. You are dust in the wind, my friend. And I am 100% that bitch. It's going to kick that dust off my boots. Fuck Boom. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we're uh, we're driving on the caffeine train. Hard. Because caffeine is Hard. so necessary. Um, you know, we, we probably could have named the podcast like ca- caffeinated. Caffeining about women. <laughs> yeah. Caffeining about herstory. Uh, it just, I can't think of a good pun. I don't know. I'll think of one. That'll be our spinoff, like our early morning talk show. Like, hi, everyone. Welcome to, you know, caffeinated. Bitching. (laughs) Caffeinated bitch. I don't know. I'm. Oh, coffee bean bitching. (laughs) Hey. And then I just make a bunch of flicking the bean jokes. Yep. Um, Because it still has to be filthy, filthy, filthy. Well, Kelly, I'm shit. I'm going first. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, I'm... Shit. This is... This is horrible. As long as at the end of your story, you don't forget that I still have a story to tell, like that one time. <laughs> I listened. I was like, Emily, what Please the tell me fuck you left was that going... In. Oh, 100%. Okay, no, 100%. I left that in. I, I cut very little now because I'm like, you know what? If you can't handle us at our most chaotic... Well, you don't deserve us. You know, this is a choice you're making. No one's making you listen to us unless like your friend is driving is like, you need to listen to this podcast and you then you're, you know, held historically hostage. But, you know, enough enough time with us, you'll get Stockholm syndrome and love us. So it's fine. Exactly. Well, today I am whining about 
a straight up badass who should have a billion movies or TV series about them. Ella Hatan, also known as La Juagarina, which is Jaguarina. I was going to say it. Yeah, it, but it's, you know, the, it's Spanish. The Jaguar. Well, I, I looked it up. Ina as a suffix can be the wife of if it's like with a name, but if it's with an animal, it's like the meat of. So like this could be like meat of the jaguar. I think it's oh. also like a feminine jaguar reference, you know? Yeah. Anyway. The bitch jaguar. But in a good way. <laughs> She's 100% that jaguar. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into why she has that nickname, but it's definitely well earned. So Ella Hatton was born on one of the 365 days in 1859. Nice. You know, just pick one. In Zanesville, Ohio, to parents Maria and William. And William worked as a tailor. She was their 10th child. So to say that her parents had a law on their plate is quite the understatement. To make matters worse, when Ella was only three or four, her father was killed in the American Civil War. Bummer. Yeah, that's real sad. Maria, the now single mother of 10. Jesus Christ. <laughs> moved with Ella and her brother to Cleveland, Ohio. And I'm assuming that they were probably the youngest because it just talked about Ella and her brother moving with their mother. Probably. Um, perhaps the other children were off on their own or Maybe dispersed other family. Ma- yeah. Yeah. When it said the, you know, she was the 10th child. I'm like, okay. Of like how many how many survived to adulthood exactly. that kind of thing, um, because this is the 1800s and everything is a straight up crapshoot even more than now. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so Maria was of Spanish heritage and had been taught fencing because apparently that's just you know it's like softball. You just take your kids to fencing camp every summer. She passed this down to Ella, who began training to fence with a foil, which is like the skinny little sword thingy. Yeah. Yeah, think um, think parent trap, Lindsay Lohan parent yep. trap. And a knife, which is self-explanatory. If I have to explain what a knife is, then um, I can't help you. So she's doing all this. I'm only eight years old. Again, like Lindsay Lohan parent trap. Like those kids were excellent fencers. And I'm saying kids as if Lindsay Lohan actually was two people. Right. (laughs) Those characters. Yeah, there you go. Those two characters that one person played were excellent fencers. So this was perfect for Ella, who seemed to have a flair for the dramatic. And I kind of have it in my head, like she being the 10th child. It's like, it must be really easy to get lost in the shuffle. So I think she had like middle child syndrome, except she's like one of the youngest child syndrome where you you show off because you want to pay attention to I don't even know. I don't even know if she was the youngest. She was one of 10. She was the 10th. And I don't know if, you know. If there were more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, she's got like middle child syndrome, but there's also like eight other middle children, (laughs) which has got to be rough. So she joined a Cleveland theater troupe, which took her to New York, where she had the opportunity to perform with notable actors of the time, including Edwin Booth, who may be best known Mm -hmm. as being the older brother of fellow actor. 
and presidential assassin John Wilkes Booth, who assassinated President Abraham Lincoln. And actually, there's a great drunk history about the the yep, Booth brothers, yep, I've seen and it's, it. it's it all about great. how like Edwin was like this great actor, and John Wilkes could never quite like live up to him, yep. and he kind of like turned to this political bullshit to uh, make his name, yeah, yeah and to like make him feel like he wasn't a piece of shit, <laughs> and then. Um, Oh God! What what was the play? What was the play that they were watching? It was like the the, the American or American yeah, Star. Like um, but Edwin Booth performed in that play yeah. after the assassination, and everyone was like, "This dude is a fucking treasure." Right? So like, I know. So he really rose above this. Like John Wilkes Booth is rolling around in his grave because one, slavery was abolished, right. <laughs> and two. Edwin performed at the like overshadowed him by performing, by performing the same play, but by performing in the play that John Wilkes Booth assassinated a president at. Yeah. Oh, our American cousin. There that was go. it. I'm like, it's something American. I don't know. So while in New York, the 18 year old met Colonel Thomas Monstery. Monstery. I'm going to call him Monstery. Because that's a cool name. He was a master fencer and duelist. And Monstry was a battle-tested master who had opened up a fencing school where he would teach athletes and actors and women. He, like, taught self-defense. He was a very much equal opportunity person. That's awesome. And what may have been unusual for him was that he took women on as pupils. He did not discriminate. He's like, if you can hold a foil, you can dodge. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. If you can hold a foil, you can dodge a foil. If you can hold a... If you can hold a broom, you can hold a foil. If you can make a sandwich, you can stab someone in the face. (laughs) I don't know. So he said, quote, it is a great mistake to suppose that women cannot learn fencing as quickly as men. The fact is women are much the quicker pupils. They are more flexible of body. Their limbs are more supple and elastic. That's one advantage. Their mental brightness enables them to pick up the strategy of the art quicker. That's the second advantage. And thirdly, they have more nerve. It's a fact. I don't know why, but it's a fact. And I thought this was interesting because he's talking about, um, because obviously males and females tend to have like different physical characteristics. Obviously, it's not a rule across the board, but it's a pattern. And... When we read Strong Like Her, something that um, they that the author talked about, Hallie Shapley, what's up, Hallie? Love you, girl. Um, was that there are sports that males have an advantage over because they have naturally more muscle mass or they're taller, you know, this kind of thing. But there are also other sports that females have a distinct advantage because, you know, they're smaller or more graceful. Like the the characteristics that we associate with masculinity and femininity have their advantages, but we only seem to put value in the masculine traits, Yep. you know? And I think this is interesting that he's pointing out some of these physical characteristics that's like, well, actually we just don't put value in the flexibility, you know, the elastic appendages, that kind of thing. So it was no surprise that Ella became one of his pupils. She's already into fencing. She's an actor. She meets this guy. And it was reported by the New York Times that, quote, the colonel declared he would make the little girl the greatest woman fencer of her time. And from him, she learned all that she knew of the art. And that's exactly what happened. 
Under his tutelage, she became proficient with a saber, broadsword, rapier, uh, bayonet, lance, and just a crap ton of other blade weaponry. Weaponry. So training was no joke. Monstry put Ella through a rigorous military-like training and constantly withheld praise to the point that Ella actually wasn't sure if she was any good uh, and was genuinely surprised when she started taking on opponents and winning. She's like, oh, oh, shit. Because <laughs> she doesn't know how well she's doing because he won't tell her that she's doing well. Right. Ella recalled, quote, I fenced three hours a day with foil and saber for three years before I was considered really qualified as a fencer. The road to success as a saber fencer is paved by aching muscles and bruises from cuts from a sword. But it all paid off. And after three years of training, Ella was a certifiable badass and literally anything long and sharp in her hands could kill you. (laughs) Probably more than a certified badass. Yeah. Three years. And she is still regarded as one of Monstry's greatest students. Yay. So after completing her training, Ella began traveling the world, challenging champion fencers to duels under the name La Hagarina. Ah. Which is, like I kind of said before, Ina as a suffix when attached to an animal could be like the meat of the jaguar. It could have also just been like a feminine, right. like the jaguar, jaguar yeah. you know. Because, like, you know, it's not like... Haguarito, which would be like, oh, cute little like baby jaguar. It's you know, Ina, which I is feminine. I don't know. You I know it. what? I get it. You know what? Uh, it's fine. Liz, Liz, if you're listening, the Spanish teacher or anyone else, tell me, tell me how full of shit I am. I would love to know. <laughs> so these duels were done on foot and on horseback to make it even more intense. Being a woman fencer, Ella was a bit of a novelty, but it was her prowess that made her unforgettable. She began defeating fencing heavyweights, none of which we would recognize, so I did not bother listing them because it's, I don't care. If you care, please let me know. She also solicited challenges and publications, and uh, one published in the Los Angeles Herald read, quote, Let it be clearly understood that no man need hesitate to challenge me because I am a woman, or think that he will be called on to show me any consideration for that reason. I grant no favors, and I certainly ask none. It is said that this is the day of the new woman, and we've talked about this before. The day of the new woman. We've talked about the concept of the new woman, which was like, you know, independent, bad bitch of the era. If it be so, I hope someone who desires to sustain the reputation of his sex will challenge me before I get to be an old woman and give the new woman another chance to prove she is a superior of man. The Daily Alta published an account of her dueling that illustrates her skills. So a lot of what we know about her are from these publications about her taking on these master duelists and winning. So I have a lot of quotes, but they're all, I mean, they're like 1800, so they're really fun. Lithe as the animal she takes her cognomen from, the strong and, and strong and supple as steel, she presented an extraordinary picture as she awaited the onset. This is like, this is a Daniel Steele novel. This is sexy. When the signal was given, the heavy blades cut through the air like flashes of lightning and steel rang on steel in a series of movements so rapid in execution as to defy being allowed by the eye. 
Backward and forward in single steps, the combatants retreated in advance until finally the captain's arm bent slightly. That's her opponent. Yep, yep. A, lot of the, a lot of these people are like captain, colonels, military people. And the next moment, a sounding thwack on his breastplate betoked a point of for Haguarina. The doughty captain perspired freely, and the gallantry he intended to show the lady had been thrown away. When he became warmed up, the struggle was most exciting, and the scores alternated until the, until the close when Hagarina was counted 12 times, and he 11. That was very sexy. <sighs> I'm going to need a minute. Yep, you do. <laughs> Just give us a I was, I was so excited. I'm like, oh, man, we're not re- reading, like, sexy wine labels, but we get some sexy, like, old-timey yeah, newspaper. Yeah, I really liked that. That was hot. That was. <laughs> Perspiring freely. Yes. Oh. Well, and I love this idea that, you know, he may have been holding back a little, but she was kicking his ass. So, so he's like, like, fuck this I, shit. He's like, I literally can't. Right. So, obviously, dueling comes with some risks. It's not like rock, paper, scissors. In one duel, Ella's opponent hit her so hard in the face that her face max caved in and left her with a distinctive scar on her nose. She won anyway. That being said, equestrian dueling was another beast entirely. But It saw a surge in popularity in the United States as the American public became obsessed with old jousting stories. And this was a way for them to kind of mole jousting to the fencing trend so it's just people fighting on swords and not like charging each other like with jousting like they're riding around with their swords flailing in the air and they're like meh meh I wish everyone could see Emily's (laughs) yes enactment of this oh god so not only did you have to worry about your opponent who's you know a skilled horse rider and fencer and warrior but your horse could also fucking kill you right or their horse there's just there's so many options so many ways to die so many ways to die in one horseback duel ella's horse became spooked and began running around the field repeatedly throwing her in the path of her opponent's blade because the opponent was not like whoa i'm gonna let this horse work its shit out she he was like Oh, I'm, I'm going to use this to my advantage. advantage. Which, yep. like, fair. Okay, fair. That That's part of the chaos, that your horse could just turn on you, okay? <laughs> the horse also... Uh, time for mad dodge skills. Though. Yes, exactly. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a horse. <laughs> well, dodge another dude on a horse with a sword. Yeah, you can dodge a sword held by a dude on a horse. <laughs> So the horse also charged into an audience stand and nearly flung Ella headfirst into it. She won anyway. Nice. Yeah, so she gets hit in the face, she wins. She almost gets fucked over by her horse, she wins. And Ella didn't take on only human opponents. In at least one instance, she went toe to hoof against a bull. And before everyone starts, like, clenching their butt cheeks, the bull does not die. This is actually a cool story, which is why I included it. She taunted the bull and dodged his charges, but never actually cut or stabbed the animal. Her manager was like on the sidelines screaming at her to kill it because he was just super stressed out, which like I would also be incredibly stressed watching this, but she refused. Instead, after putting on a show, she jumped out of the ring. And when a reporter asked her if she was afraid, she replied that she, quote, never was frightened in my life. Oh, sassy. She's like, I'm a bad bitch. You can't kill me. (laughs) Exactly. 
So Ella was also a strong advocate for gender equality and women's fitness. She said, quote, I'm a firm believer in the philosophy that women were meant to be just as robust and hardy as men, and they can be without losing any of their womanliness. In fact, physical culture gives grace, beauty, self-reliance while taking nothing but aches and, oh shit, I didn't look this word up, dyspezia, D-Y-S-P-E-P-S-I-A, dyspepsia, dyspepsia. I don't know what that means. You didn't look it up? I, I didn't. For shame, Emily. You know what, Kelly? You know what? You, you know me? what? I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what the suffix ena meant. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I could only do one. So Ella was collecting victories like Pokemon cards, and in 1884, she faced the ultimate test. She was reunited with her old master, Colonel Thomas Monstry in Chicago for a public fencing contest. And like, she's like doing the whole warrior's way thing. Like she does the training, she's competing, and then she meets back up with her old master. Like, okay, like, can we do this? It's like the ultimate showdown. I'm like, this is, this should be a series. Why isn't this a movie? It's amazing. The four hour duel was intense like a circus fire yeah it was reported quote in the encounter with monstry at the end of four hours bout neither of the parties had gained a point and the combat was declared a draw four Four hours hours. neither one of them had gotten a point yeah which is really incredible to me that's insane. Yeah, it's like they're both just so good that neither one of them can land well, a blow. Well, I mean, it makes sense because he trained her so that he know, like they know each other's style. It's it's like that old uh, that old trope. Like, I know all your moves. You taught me everything you know. Oh, I taught you everything you know, but not everything I know. Da da da. Except, I think he did teach her everything he knew because nothing nothing moved. So, other than that draw, after five years of competing, Ella had won. All of her fucking duels. All of them. That's insane. Even the ones where her horse tried to kill her. That is. Like, that's insane. To solicit more challengers, because she was kind of running out, she offered $5,000, which is $150,000 today, in her newspaper ads to anyone who could defeat her, but no one dared challenge her. Aw, she's like, I just, I just want someone to fight yeah so ella had essentially defeated everyone who dared challenge her and therefore was forced into retirement because she ran out of opponents because because okay say, say you're into fencing and you're like oh there's this chick who's like challenging people to fencing but she beat all of these people that are way better than me you know you're gonna lose right, you're like, like she I'm beat not gonna go fence all of the experts that she that she right. could find that's insane. Except for her master, who she tied with. Exactly. It, it was basically like, okay, it's been four hours of this shit. We all want to go home. It's a draw. We're done. <laughs> so that didn't mean she slowed down. She opened up a finishing school where she taught women fencing. Nice. Yep. And took up acting, singing, and modeling. more like a fencing school than a finishing school. Yeah, it was like, it was more of a finish him school. Yeah. <laughs> Fatality. <laughs> K-O. 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 <laughs> so her fencing school primarily catered to elite Southern women and was described by a reporter as follows. 
Swords and racks and arranged in trophy groupings, armor and fencing paraphernalia of all descriptions compose the ornamentation and utility of this quaint apartment, which comes nearer the realization of a hall of the medieval period than anything else existing in this part of the world. Hagarina is the personification of health and grace and possesses much magnetic force as well. She is capable of illustrating every individual movement that she teaches and to give an intelligent and satisfactory reason for the especial object thereof. (sighs) (laughs) I just need a second. They fucking knew how to write. I'm just going to say, like, goddamn. So Ella did marry, but ended in divorce. Uh, she also had no patience for fuckboys, which was made evident with him when an obnoxious suitor wouldn't leave her alone. So this dude is harassing her in like, oh, you're not into me? I'm going to make you into me. And she's like, stop. So the Washington, D.C. Evening Star reported of this fuckboy encounter. Well, fuckboy appeared. In telegraph time, she had him by the collar and was shaking him with all the enthusiasm of a terrier over a newly captured rat. Oh. His hat went one way and his cane went the other and his teeth played the castanet obligato <laughs> to, the, to the solo of good advice that was rapidly breathed into his vibrating ears. <laughs> Please like, like, leave me the fuck alone and yeah she's like, violent. Like, she like why shook would you the wanna, crap out of why him why would you want to fuck with someone who knows fencing like what if she decides to just grab like an actual sword yeah so after putting the fear of god into the fuck boy ella let him go and when asked why she let him go she said that she quote didn't want to be prosecuted for manslaughter oh. i don't have time for that okay I have girls to teach i have i have shit to do i have fencing to do I do not want to go to jail tonight. It's not worth it. Oh my goodness. So the last mention of Ella was in 1909 when she was on tour for a play because she was also like, she, she, you know, was back into show business. And while we know much about her life thanks to newsprint, once she stopped making headlines, she was forgotten. Yeah. Like it ends. So we don't even know what year she died. Which means Maybe she never did. She could definitely still be alive, hundred percent. But I, but like, really, her legacy is based in gender equality, mm-hmm. women in sports, proving that women can excel in sports. Oh yeah, and also showing how important it is to have gender equality and making sports accessible to well, women. And tr- she went on to train more women exactly. in sports. And that is the story of the possibly still living Ella Hatton, better known as La Hagarina. La Hagarina. La Hagarina. I mean, her story headcanon, she's still alive. She's actually, um, she's she's done it like uh, Uncle Iroh did, where like she never actually died. She just transcended into something more powerful. And now she's fighting, you know, spirits and kicking their asses in the spirit world. Because she has transcended human existence. She's like, I could find no more opponents on Earth, so I transcended transcended to the spirit realm, where I'm like fighting dragons and centipedes and <laughs> flying bunnies. I don't know. Whatever there is. Yes. No, she and she's beating them all. Beating them all. Beating them all, not beating them off. Just <laughs> beating them off. Beating every single one of them off. <laughs> Vigorously and enthusiastically. 
That is the only kind of beating off I will accept. Right. Vigorous and enthusiastic. enthusiastic. <laughs> From both participants. <laughs> yes. No. I mean, that's all about consent. That, I mean, really, that is, that's the hallmark of consent. Yeah. Yeah. Hey guys, we know times have been tough lately for all of us. And during hard times, it can be difficult if you don't have anyone to talk to or it can be hard to talk about certain topics. Being alone with your thoughts can be isolating. This is why we are sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen to and help you. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Thank goodness. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to the help that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. That is Amazon fast. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential, just like with an in-person therapist. You can request a new therapist at any time at no additional charges. If you want to talk to someone about your mental health, you can get a 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash herstory. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash herstory. So, Kelly. <laughs> On that note. Um, now that I have you in the mood, <laughs> who are you whining about today? I am whining about Colette. Oh, like, Full stop. like Colette. Madonna, Cher, yeah. Prince, Colette. Yep. Okay. Okay. So Colette was actually born Sidonie Gabrielle Colette. That was her full name. She's, okay. She's French. <laughs> How just dare you? It. How dare um, you? So she was born in 1873 in January in France. Um, France. She was raised in a village in Burgundy. I originally had the name of the village in there, and then I took it out because I was like, I can't pronounce this. Where she lived with her uh, mom and dad, and she was very, very close with her mom. And she said that her mom awakened her to the wonders of the natural world, everything that germinates, blossoms, or flies. Aww. She was the youngest She's a of, tree hugger. Yeah, right? She was the youngest of four children, two of which were from her mother's previous marriage okay so she had two half siblings and then a full brother but she was the youngest she attended a public school from ages six to 17 and the family when she was born was initially really well off but they had poor financial management and um basically they didn't i don't think they were ever poor but they became like lower middle class due to oh mismanagement of funds i aspire to lower middle class (laughs) i'm imagining this is like a schitt's creek situation (laughs) like the feds come in and just start taking all of their pots or so i don't know what what do french aristocrats have porcelain i don't know maybe maybe their toilet like their working toilet their working toilet yeah i don't know their perfume their frog legs they're baguettes. Um, yes, they're baguettes. They're baguettes by the armfuls. Um, so at the age of 20, she was sent to Paris to get married. Um, and she was very ill prepared to both be married and like be a wife and to be in Paris. Like she was not raised for that. She was raised in the countryside, you know. So 
this was kind of a shock to her. So she married yeah. a writer and a critic named Henry Gauthier Villers. Um, he was also known as Willie, which is what I will refer to him as now on. Uh, he was 15 years older than her. So she's 20. He's 35. Okay. He would introduce her to the world of Parisian salons and the demi-monde, which is a class of women considered to be of doubtful social standing and morality. So, ladies of the night. Okay. Like, either sex workers or women who refuse to abide by the standards of polite society. Basically, our favorite people at this time. Because I have no patience for the stuffy bullshit. I want to party. Well, and he was um, what's known as a libertine back then. And that is a person, usually a man, who freely indulges in sensual pleasures without regard to moral principles. Okay. Okay. So he'd be like on FetLife. I don't know what FetLife is. It's uh, it's a, um, like, well, I feel like I'm outing myself now. My friend told me about it in college. <laughs> no, it's like um, a social media site for fetish enthusiasts. It's not even that he was like a fetishist. It's. But, like, but what I'm saying is nowadays, that would be the comparison. I guess. I, I mean, he's he's kind of, the other, the words that go with it are like a Lothario, a Playboy, a, you know, a Romeo, a philanderer. So he, he just like a likes Lord Byron type. being around women. Okay. Um, and he was one of the most notorious in France at the time. <laughs> yep. It's, okay, I gotta say. So she basically married a fuckboy. I, I was going to say, that's a big deal if you are the most well-known fuckboy in France. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, there's a lot of competition. Right. Um, well, in pa- in Paris, I guess, not in France. Well, I'm just, that that's worse. So, there's so much, co- that's where all the competition is. Right. Um, so he, he would also encourage her to have, like, lesbian affairs. Was she into that, or was yes, he just I like think so? Because she did continue. Hot. She did continue them after. Okay, they later. Uh, anyways, anyways, um, he discovered that she could write and write well, and she later did say that if Willie had never encouraged her, she would never have become a writer. Okay, right. Um, and he initially would choose the subject matter, and he he. He did, like, a titillating subject matter and had her write it. So the books were the Claudine novels, and it it says, quote, The secondary myth of Sappho, the girl's school or convent ruled by a seductive female teacher. Hot. So, like, that's the basis of this this novels. Um, The worst part about this is he would lock her in a room and make her write until he was like, okay, this is enough for the novel or whatever. It's like a novel sweatshop. And then he would publish it as his own. Really? Yeah. I will end your shit. So four novels were published in this way. It was the four Claudine novels. So there was Claudine à l'école, which is Claudine at school. And then there was, I'm not going to do the Claudine French Claudine in la escuela. Yeah, right. <laughs> so Claudine at school, Claudine in Paris. And then there was The Indulgent Husband husband and The Innocent Wife. So those were the, f- the four books. And yeah, they were kind of like... Smut. Smut. Yeah, basically. Okay. I already made a Daniel Steele reference. So I love that we're just keeping the yep. sexy writing train going. Um, so for these novels, Colette drew from her own experience, both from a girl in, from the provinces or the the, you know... 
country the, the poor part yeah the rural areas rural um to produce scenes of the life of a young ingenue um both claudine and the passive domestic annie who narrates the fourth book um actually came back in her later novels which were called or a later novel called retreat from love which was um published under her name so colette would go on to leave willie thank god yes and though her slightly salacious novels were wildly popular and the plays that would be derived from them, she wouldn't see any of her earnings as Willie would keep all the royalties. Bitch. However, she was incredibly resourceful and took a job as a music hall performer to work and worked long hours to keep poverty at bay. During these years, um, she was involved with uh, multiple people, both men and women. Uh, probably the most notable is the Mar- Marquis de Bel. Belle Bouffe or Missy was her, I, like, I thought you were going to say the Marquis de Sade. And I was like, Oh shit. No. <laughs> um, and Missy was an independently wealthy lesbian who wore male dress and mocked the masculine manner. I love so her. That's probably one of her like biggest relationships at the time. Um, yep. So this period of her life inspired her book, La Vagabond or the Vagabond and another one called music hall sidelights, which I'm not going to try to pronounce in French. Um, So while her and Willie had been separated from starting in 1906, they finally divorced in 1910. And and two years later, she would marry Henri de Jovenal, who was the editor in chief of a paper named La Matine. And she would contribute to his paper mainly about the theater and short stories. They would have a daughter together who she would um, make a book about called La Passe Chez Les Betes, or later translated as Dogs, Cats, and I. <laughs> but like her daughter was like the main character of it. Okay. So I, I, I just, I have to say, it's like, honey, I wrote a book all about you. I called it The Dogs, Cats, and I. Mama, where am I? You're the you're the dogs and the cats, and then there's me. I don't know. <laughs> it's, yeah, right? it's hilarious. Also, you are like nailing the French. I'm just winging it. You're you're doing it with enough confidence, though, that it actually sounds pretty darn good. Good. Yeah. So the writings she published up to this point, she she called her apprenticeship years, and she actually um put that she made she actually wrote them in a book called Mess Apprentice. Oh my god, nope. Nope. It basically it means my apprenticeships. I, I acknowledge how well you were doing. And then I just fucked it up. Observing the subject inherently changes the result. Right. Acknowledging the subject inherently fucks the result exactly. sky high. So after 1920, a lot of her works are put into two different categories. So the first category um, are the slightly more depraved but post-war generation. So these novels are Cherie, La Fin de Cherie, which is the last of Cherie, which are, those are, they're like the same subject. Mm-hmm. And then, and that's a liaison between a young man, Cherie, and an older woman. And then there's La Ble and Herbe, or The Ripening Seed, um, which is another like romance novel. Mm. And then the second chunk of books she did were kind of more of like looking back on her rural life and this like enchanted childhood she had. And were, was much less salacious, um, and a lot of the a lot of those were poems instead of stories. But she also wrote one called "My Mother's House" and "Sido" during that time. So pre-war, so about nineteen thirty, her life was pretty productive and serene at this time. Um, and moving into nineteen 
the later 1930s, um, she divorced De Jovenal and married Maurice Godiquet. Um, and this marriage really brought a lot of happiness, happiness to both of them. And they like, they were truly in love. And he actually wrote, um, a memoir called close to Colette and like kind of discusses their like love. And it's really cute. Also, because you're talking about all this, like really sweet, wholesome, lovey dovey stuff. I have to ruin it by saying when you said happiness, I thought you were saying happy nuts. I mean, I'm sure they have that too. Yeah, no, I mean, isn't that what we all want? Just like a bunch of happy nuts. A a family full of happy nuts. We're going to dip down a little bit. Clint was 67 when the Germans defeated and occupied France. Oh, fuck. Yeah, that's the time we're in. She remained in Paris uh, in her apartment at the Palace Royale, uh, but her husband, Maurice, um, was Jewish. Yeah. And he was arrested by the... Gestapo oh, in no. December 1941. I thought he, you were going to say he like got the fuck out of there super quick because he was Jewish no, and was I like, wish. no, damn it. Um, and although he was released after seven weeks um, through the intervention of the French wife of the German ambassador. Oh, wow. So they got him released, but both of them lived in fear for the rest of the war at him possibly being arrested again. Yeah. There's, there's no level of security in that situation. Right. During the occupation, she did write two volumes of memoirs. Um, so it, it was, they, I didn't, I, don't, I apparently don't have, so they, she wrote them as two different memoirs, but then they were published in English as one, as one book called Looking Backwards. Um, she also would write a lot of lifestyle articles for several pro-Nazi newspapers. Um, oh, no. And I mean, is she just trying to like make some money? I don't know. She also wrote one novel called uh, Julie de Carnahalen, um, which contains a lot of anti-Semitic slurs. But then she was also oh. married to a Jewish person. So I don't yeah, I don't know if it was she was just trying to stay on their good side. So he didn't get arrested again or if she did have some of that sentiment or I don't know what the deal was. Or, you know, she's she's trying to make money and this is the only stuff being published. Exactly. That that sucks. It, it, yeah. Yeah, because obviously her marrying a Jewish man does not negate her from no, the possibility of being anti-Semitic. Exactly. I mean, sexist gentlemen, sexist men, I should say. They're not marry gentlemen. Women they marry time. women yeah. all the time and then treat them like shit. So in 1944, Colette published what is probably her most famous and remembered work, Gigi. Oh. It's a play. It's a movie i think i've heard of that um it tells the story of a 16 year old girl Gigi, uh who was born into a family of the the what did i call them earlier demodons which are like the the women of oh oh moral uh, standings yeah so Gigi is trained as a courtesan to captivate a wealthy lover but defies the tradition by marrying him instead that that is Gigi. that's actually I, it's kind of cute. Yeah, I would yeah, too. I mean, I like, okay, it is really easy to slam romance novels because so many of them are toxic or, you know, like the setting, the setups are ridiculous, but I've read, I can't criticize because shoujo manga, same thing. I read so much of that crap when I was younger. Right. It's good. <laughs> like I would read any of these if they were manga. <laughs> right. So Gigi was published in 1944. It would become a French film in 1949. And in 1951, it was adapted to a stage play with the then unknown Audrey Hepburn in the title role of Gigi. Oh, shit. It's like Pretty Woman. Yeah. It's kind of like that. It's that same setup. Also, Audrey Hepburn. That's why I've heard of it. Well, yeah. And Pretty Woman is 
probably more like a modern day version. Oh, hundred like, percent. But yeah, that whole idea of the uh, immoral woman right. or the lower yeah. class woman captivating the higher the higher class and more moral man. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, in 1958, Hollywood musical uh, was made into a Hollywood musical movie, mm-hmm. um, and they won the Academy Award for Best Picture that year. That was 1958. Damn. Oh, and also Audrey Hepburn, when they did the stage play, she was personally picked by Colette to play Gigi. (gasps) Oh, I hope they like hugged. I hope so. I just, I want all these cool women from history to have like personally known and touched each other. (laughs) Right. So in the post-war years, Colette became a famous public figure, even though she was crippled by arthritis and was often cared for by her husband, but she supervised um, preparations for the Urvis Completes. I do not know what that is. I didn't look it up. Something fancy, I'm guessing. It lasted for two years, whatever it was. <laughs> it's because no one knew what it was, so people kept going to just see what it was. They're like, wait, what is this thing? I'm going to Google it quick. Da, da, da. Thank you, Mother Google, for giving us the answers to the questions we have. Search engines are a gift from the goddess above and some Swedes. Oh, so it was a collection of like French work. Like art? Um, I think writing. Oh, okay. Cool. Looks cool. like maybe it cool, was cool, 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 cool. Chopin. I don't know. It like, yeah, it has, I don't know. Chopin. Chopin. Ch- Chopin. It's Chopin. <laughs> Chopin. Anyways, um, and she Chopin. would continue, even though she had se- severe arthritis, she did continue to write during these years, um, including La Etoile Vesper and La Fanal Bleu. And in this, she reflected on her problems of being a writer and these are a lot more autobiographical than a lot of her previous works. Mm-hmm. She would be nominated for a Nobel prize in literature in 1948. She did not win. Um, but she was made a member of the Belgian Royal Academy and the French Academy, Academy as well as a grand officer as the Le- in the Legion of honor. Um, all of these honors, which are rarely granted to women, at least at that time. Yeah. Um, she was known as a delicate and humorous realist, um, and she wrote chiefly of women in traditional roles such as husband hunters or discarded aging and uh, like mistresses. Her chosen format was the novella, and her style was a blend of sophisticated and the nat- and the natural, laced with the subtle cadences of sensuous pleasures. I love that. Like I love that. That's the description. I also love that uh, it's being. Uh, highlighted also with the dog scratching against the door. The dog's like, I want sexy, I want sexy writing. Um, so she ended her days surrounded by her cats, confined to her Palace Royal apartment overlooking Paris. She died in August of 1954. What was sad is she was a refused a religious funeral by the Catholic Church on account of her being a divorcee, however. She was given a state funeral. She was the first, like, educated French woman to ever get the honor of having a state funeral and is interred in Paris Lachaise Cemetery. You know what? So, like, the Catholic Church was like, fuck you, and France was like, fuck you! (laughs) (laughs) You know what? She's too cool for the Catholic Church. Way too cool for them. 
Right. Also, I love I love that it was because that she uh, was divorced, not because she had all these same sex relationships and affairs. No, because she's divorced. Yeah, twice. God. Anyway, you know what? (sighs) So legacy. Uh, Colette's numerous biographers have proposed widely differing interpretations of her life and works. Um, A lot of people now say that she was a limited, talented novel, even though she had a lot of outspoken admiration in her lifetime. But she is starting to, again, be recognized as one of the most important voices in early women's writing. Um, She's had songs written about her. Truman Capote wrote an essay um, called The White Rose. It tells how when she saw him admiring a paperweight on a table, she insisted he take it. Like, he she, they, he must have been visiting her. Oh, my God. Apparently, he initially refused, but when he protested that he couldn't accept a present um, of something she so clearly adored, she replied, my dear, really, there is no point in giving a gift unless one also treasures it oneself. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay, you know what I call that? Uh, maraschino cherry love. Like if well, I, yeah. here's the thing. Okay. So when I get, when I get a cocktail, usually like a Manhattan and it comes with maraschino cherries, I love maraschino cherries. I fucking love them so goddamn much, Kelly. And if I give you You've one of the cherries, one, so I know, I but I call special. that maraschino cherry love because I want that cherry. I want to selfishly gobble it down, but, but like, I'm sharing it because I love yeah. you. And that's an intense love. Yeah. That's, that's Maraschino Cherry Colette yeah, love. Um, so in 1991, there was a film called Becoming Colette that was about her. And then in 2018, so fairly recently, there was a movie just called Colette. Um, and the title Colette is played by Kiara Knightley. Um, both Kiara fil- Knightley? Yeah. Oh my God, I love so her. So both films obviously focus on her life in her 20s, the marriage to her first husband, and the publication of her first novels under his name so that's both movies kind of focus on her earlier life yeah and then obviously like fucking willie Gigi has been made into like multiple iterations yeah. and stuff like that so y- you know what i think is interesting real quick that she had this encounter with truman capote and truman capote's breakfast at tiffany's title you know yep. had audrey hepburn in it yeah. and audrey hepburn was, was Gigi and was chosen by and colette was chosen by her. colette so i think there's this it's like yeah, this, this all... cool three-way crossover yeah. in history so yeah that that was colette oh it's uh it took me a minute to like try and find her because i'm like i can't just google colette yeah, no, you yeah, know you that. actually can well like, I, it comes up with the movie but it also comes up with her Okay, I had to Google Colette and Henry Gauthier Villiers, like, ah, okay. to, to find her. I just, I, well, maybe it's because I already Google searched her. I pulled up Colette, and it's the first thing that pulls up is her Wikipedia. Okay. That is super cool. I love that. I'm glad she's getting some uh, modern day love, too. I kind of want to watch the Kiara Knightley film now. We should do that. We should set a day aside and watch Colette with Kiara Knightley. Okay. You keep saying Kiara Knightley. Kira. Kira. That's how I've always heard it. it. Kira. Kira. Okay. But for some reason, I I think I had a friend growing up that would call her Kiara. And so like, it just gets stuck in my head. It's Kira. Now you're making me think of Simba and Nala's daughter from Lion King 2. (laughs) Kiara. It's a pretty name. Dude, that that movie holds up. I watched it on Disney Plus. I was like, this is still a good fucking movie. (laughs) That, That soundtrack... No, obviously not as good as the as Lion King sound, but it was 
excellent for being like one of the straight to video sequels. It had no right to be that good. It had a really good like the villain song that that like it's like the second song in the movie yes. that like that the mom sings and it's such a good song. Oh god. He is not one of us. That's a good song. Shut up. <laughs> Sorry. It's so passionate. Like this whole episode is just filled with passion. So much passion. So much passion. <laughs> yeah, no. Um you really you really set the tone for this episode with your Lizzo parody. I I didn't know this episode was going to be as sexy as it was, but yeah. by god, it was hot. So Kelly, what am I thankful for? What are you thankful for other than the overwhelming sexiness that is now just hanging over us like oh. a heavy heat? Oh. <sighs> Um, i'm one of those people that shouldn't be allowed to have sex because i'm just like how can i make this really uncomfortable for everyone involved i mean we both did it we both (laughs) okay do not make that noise during sex whoever you're having sex is just gonna stop and be like am i hurting you (laughs) no that's now you sound like a baby yeah actually i mean some people are into that not gonna yuck on their yum. There was a there was a baby that I used to work with, and she had the best fake cry. She would go, Me! <laughs> it was amazing. You could hear it in the hallway. Like you'd be three classrooms away, and all of a sudden you just hear, Me! It's like, oh, someone's throwing a fucking tantrum. Right. <laughs> um, so I'm thankful for I got some time off this week. Um and I was just really, really thankful to have that time off. I got some laundry done and started cleaning my room. So, yeah. How about, how about you? Um, I am. This is going to be like a really silly one, but I am thankful because the fellow I'm seeing got to have a sleepover with wolves and sent me a ton of has been I'm sending me so tons jealous. of pictures. I OK. I'm very happy for him. I mean, I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm very happy for him. I hope he had a great time. I'm, I'm just so full of happiness for him, but I'm also incredibly jealous. But he has been very kind and has been sending me just a crap ton of wolf pictures. And so every time I look at my phone, I'm like, wolves! And I was actually, I was looking at some of the pictures I was cuddling with my dogs. I was showing the dogs. I'm like, you're a little one of those. Look, That's if you funny. eat, you're going to grow big and strong and become one of those someday. It's just. You know, wolf pictures make everything better. Right. I love 100%. wolves. I love them so. They're just big puppers. They're just big puppy dogs who need lots of love and snuggles and elk meat. Yeah. So that's what I'm thankful for. Sounds good. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you, too. <laughs> they're so cute and baby. I love them. And it's perfect because it was a uh, national dog day or whatever yeah, just the other day. and we posted pictures of our little puppers so cute there's your baby and fuzzy i love dory's tongue i know I just, had, that's why i had to go with that that's one. her that's her kelly's fawn pug just sticking out and then i have charlie and max being in nature just looking like right majestic. i even included a picture of my dog that passed away i know just still my baby here's the thing atari is kind of a legend on this show because she i thought she was the grim reaper <laughs> the, the grim the reaper best, is so tiny and cute best thing holy crap crap i loved it i will always remember that also speaking of dogs uh there are a bunch of pictures of colette where she's posing with a tiny black dog so i love that 
All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whiny About Herstory. Like us on Facebook at Whiny About Herstory. Instagram at WAHpod if you want to see all of our cute-ass dog pics. Yeah. Twitter at WAH underscore pod. Our website is whinyaboutherstory.com where you can send us a message. You can look at our merch. You can find out everywhere you can listen to us. All of that. We also have a Patreon where you can donate for as little as $1 to get some bonus content and some goodies if you donate more than $1. Yep, yep. We just had our latest herstory happenings. Yep, and we have a video published. that will hopefully go up today. Oh, wait, shit. I may not publish the herstory happenings. No, I think you're supposed, I think it goes out this week. Okay, good, good. Or whenever you get it done. What? It'll happen. It's recorded. I just need to edit <laughs> exactly. it and put it out there. Um. Yeah, also raise five stars wherever you listen because we love you. We do. And you love us. And you know so. what? Let's make this a... Two-way love that'll Let's never make die. This a maraschino cherry love, guys. Let's make this a maraschino cherry love. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to another incredibly sexy episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I can't make that sexy. I know, I'm like, I, that's what I was trying to figure out. I'm like, how, how do I do Bye. this? No, no, that just sounds no. painful. You know what? We're never going to say bye. Nope. Never. See you later. See you later. Sexy motherfuckers.